Close confidant of the former president, regular contributor, according to New Hampshire's own Corey Lewandowski, joining us live. Good morning, New Hampshire. The pulse of an H out of the gate. Good morning, Corey. Good morning, Jack. No, no concern there, right? That the current president of the United States with the airstrikes going on in the Middle East thinks he's talking to a former uh, German chancellor leader who passed away seven years ago. Jack, this is the second time in a week where President Biden has said he's spoken to a leader who has now been deceased for a number of years. It clearly shows his mental acuity is not where it should be. We should have grave concerns about an individual who doesn't even know who he's talking to on a regular basis. And, you know, Jack, what we're seeing with Joe Biden and leading into the 2024 election is his team is going to try and put him in the basement, try and prevent him from talking to the media because he continues to make these mistakes. And the number two issue for voters right now, only behind the issue of illegal immigration, is Joe Biden's health and mental acuity as they're looking at who to cast their ballot for in November. So it's a real concern for the Democrats right now. Corey, yesterday I had Governor Sununu on the show because he had gone to Eagle Pass in Texas to view the southern border. You just referred to the immigration crisis. I asked him on the presidential race if Nikki Haley doesn't do better percentage-wise than she did in New Hampshire. That's what she said in her home state of South Carolina. Should she drop out and concede the uh, nomination battle to Donald Trump? He said, no, the campaign has the right strategy. They can stay in until states like Michigan and stay in long term. But yet some people were looking at these polls in South Carolina, and it seems like there's a pretty big Trump wall there for Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina. Well, Jack, look, it's very simple. Today, Donald Trump in Nevada is going to pick up 26 more delegates. He will continue to increase his lead in the delegate count. The only thing that matters as you uh, try and secure the Republican nomination is those delegates. Nikki Haley didn't even make it on the ballot today in Nevada, which was really just a, a really a a microcosm of where her campaign is. She's not on the ballot in the state of Ohio, so you can't get delegates there. Look, what Governor Sununu has said repeatedly is Nikki Haley against Donald Trump one-on-one as the field widows, widows down. Uh, Nikki Haley's going to do better. That hasn't proven to be the case. She's not going to get any delegates today. She's not going to win in her home state of South Carolina. And all we are doing by continuing this inevitable process before Donald Trump is the nominee is spending money against ourselves when we should be focused on what the end goal here, which is making sure Joe Biden doesn't get another four years. You know, Chris Sununu was wrong. I have no problem telling him he's wrong. They told us she was going to win in New Hampshire. She didn't. She knows she's not going to win in South Carolina. She has no path in the Super Tuesday states. She doesn't even have an organization in most of these states. So what are we doing? Let's get together as a party. Let's stop the circular firing squad. Let's stop going after Donald Trump. And let's focus on what the real issues of this country are, which is we've got a leader in the White House who doesn't even know which former leaders around the world he's still talking to. Gordon Lewandowski, the Donald Trump, former president, the day of our primary in New Hampshire, in my interview with him, when I asked him about going to South Carolina, is Tim Scott on your short, short list for VP picks? He said yes. And also the, uh, just recently he had said, uh, it would be, you know, he's looking for someone like a, like a Senator Scott or Governor Christie Noma, South Dakota. Uh, are these kind of the two top choices? And he think he, when do you, when would he make that? When would he, what people know what it, who his choice is? Well, look, I think it's it's clear to say that those two are obviously high on the president's list. He continues to mention them. Both are strong candidates. Uh, the reality is, and, and I've had these conversations very privately with the president, is there's no rush to make this decision. He has plenty of time. Let's continue to focus on him winning elections tonight in Nevada, then to South Carolina, then to the Super Tuesday states, and let's secure the nomination. Donald Trump is going to have an opportunity to pick anybody to be his, his running mate, whether that's Tim Scott, whether it's Christy Nome, whether it's, you know, whoever else is even on that list, he has plenty of time. I would recommend the president holds off and probably waits till June to make that decision. We're not in a big rush here. People know what Donald Trump stands for. They remember the four years of his administration and the success that we've seen. And what we're seeing across this country now is a disproportionate number of the African-American community is coming to support Donald Trump again. That is devastating to the Democrats. 
It is a it is a demographic that they have taken for granted for 40 years. And finally, the African-American community is understanding that under the Trump administration, they were better off than they were under the Biden administration. And I think you're going to see a disproportionate number of that African-American community coming to support Donald Trump in the 2024 election. Do you think in the end, ironically, Corinne Lewandowski, that New Hampshire, even though we have just a handful of electoral votes, will be a pivotal final state in the general election? And when you look at New Hampshire's races, namely the governor's race, where it's a wide open race now, the two big Democrat names, Joyce Craig, Cindy Warmington, two of the big names, Republican, two of the big names, Kelly Ayotte, Chuck Morse. How do you how do you see who, who we don't know the nominee on either side yet, but, but do the Democrats or Republicans have an advantage in the in the local races, namely the governor's race going into the uh, in, into November 2024? Look, I think I think what we've seen from our electorate here is that you have to prove why you should be in office. We've got two Democrat U.S. senators, two Democrat members of Congress, a Republican governor. It's, it's a system where people choose a chief executive because it's close to home and they want lower taxes, less regulation, less government you know, involvement. I think that will historically help Republicans leading into the November election. I do think the state of New Hampshire, with our four electoral votes, continues to be critically important to the path to 270. Remember, George, H., uh, George W. Bush won New Hampshire in 2000, and as we gained out in the 2016 election, where Donald Trump might have to go to get to that magic number of 270, not only do we continue to focus on New Hampshire, but we focused on Maine's second congressional district, which allocates one vote there. We focused in Nebraska, which allocates one specific vote. Now, ultimately, Donald Trump won by a huge margin in 2016, and it wasn't necessary. But there are a number of scenarios where the state of New Hampshire is the pivotal place uh, to put Donald Trump over the top or the second congressional district of Maine. Right based on the electoral map. So New Hampshire will continue to be critically important. I anticipate Donald Trump, his running mate, and all of his surrogates to continue to be in our home state here, Jack. I love that. I think the people of New Hampshire take that responsibility very seriously. And I think they will remember that Joe Biden has not treated them with the respect that they've deserved through the last four or eight years when he's been had the opportunity to be on the ballot. And finally, when you speak with the former president, do, do, do you or him, does he does he think there's going to be any serious third party, independent party candidate, uh, whether it's a Chris Christie, uh, Joe Manchin, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is running as an independent? Can he get on the ballots? Does he think that Jill Stein, does he think there's any independent candidates that could uh, skew this thing either way if the race is tight between him and Biden? Well, Jack, I'll just remind your listeners that in 2016, there were there were third party candidates on the race and they were from the left. And I believe they took some of those votes away from Hillary Clinton. And when you look at a state like Michigan, that Donald Trump won by less than 11,000 votes in 2016, those third party candidates can matter. What we know about the Donald Trump base is that they are unbelievably loyal. They are unbelievably resolved in their support of him. So as additional third-party candidates potentially get into this race, if it is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., it is Stein, whoever it may be, most of those votes, I believe, are going to come from the Biden campaign. They should be very concerned about that. And again, you couple that with an increase of Donald Trump's performance amongst the African-American community, which has historically voted you know, between 5 and 7% for Republicans, 11% last time for Trump. If he ends up in the 20 percentile, it's going to make the math very difficult for the Biden administration. And the Biden administration should be very concerned about the third-party candidates. Corey Lewandowski, live. Good morning, Hampshire. The Pulse of an H. Thank you. You bet. Good morning, New Hampshire. Powered by Sig Sauer. Now, back to Jack Heath on the Pulse of New Hampshire. Pretty nice-looking Thursday. Welcome back. Good morning, New Hampshire. The Pulse of an H. Hey, Google. Hey, Alexa, play the Pulse of an H. And brought to you by Auto Fair now. As you just heard Jason LaCroix at Auto Fair talking about our state police segment, we have New Hampshire State Trooper Sam Provenza with the Special Enforcement Unit talking a little bit about safe and responsible stuff we can do each and every weekend, including a big football game weekend called the Super Bowl. Take it away. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning. How are you, Jack? I'm doing okay. Well, obviously, yeah. on the in the afternoon, but maybe every week, but I don't know. You know, there is a higher level. This might be one of the biggest watched. It is the biggest watched sporting of not in the, of the year, and and it starts early. And a lot of people are moving house to house. And what are what are your thoughts? What are your concerns and and advice? Sure. First of all, our thoughts is we want everybody to have a good time. We want everybody to get together with their friends, their family, but we want them to do it safely. 
our biggest concern, just like you said, people out there moving around, maybe uh, visiting sports establishments, uh, some other establishments, going house to house. So you can do that and you can do it safely by designating a sober, non-drinking driver. We have um, people going to these wonderful parties. They're putting on you know, their lucky jersey. They might have their game ball. We want to also put some planning into how am I going to get home at the end of the night? How am I going to get to that next party? And the answer is a non-drinking, sober driver because we want everybody to get home safely. In general, talk to explain to us what the special enforcement unit, this is primarily on the road, marked and unmarked cruisers, and maybe sometimes aircraft or just different ways of monitoring safe driving? Yes, the special enforcement unit is one of our specialized units in the New Hampshire State Police that uh, really focuses on traffic enforcement, traffic safety, impaired driving. We utilize marked and unmarked cruiser. We utilize different technologies to include the state police aircraft. We're actually right now out on uh, one of the interstates here in New Hampshire monitoring traffic with the aircraft. Yeah. And as far as what you're seeing out there, you know, it doesn't have to be a big Super Bowl weekend to know there's a lot of people that do drive fast where, you know, whether the season's mild or cold or slick on the roadways and distracted driving, you know, people just not paying attention regardless of the time of day. Is that still a concern? It is. Unfortunately, just out here this morning, we've seen multiple speeds up into the high 90 miles per hour, distracted drivers using mobile devices while they're driving. And it's just, just slow down. We want everybody to get to work, to get to their family safely. We want to reduce our crash rate and reduce the fatal crash rate out here. We, we just want people to, to get home safely. And Trooper, I know that, you know, impairments, impairment, maybe you could talk explain that to us because today it doesn't always have to be alcohol as a substance to cause basically impaired or what used to be called drunk driving. Now it's not drunk driving, it's impaired driving because it could be a number of substances or things that can affect our awareness, correct? You're right. So many of our troopers and local partners are trained in in detecting impairment by alcohol and other substances. We see so many um, impaired driving cases that are either alcohol and a substance or just substance use now because drunk driving, drug driving, buzz driving, they're all so dangerous. And that, that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of this uh, poly drug, poly um, alcohol impairment. And we really, the troopers out here, our local partners, they're trained to look for it and there's zero tolerance for it. And, and some of these drugs, you, you know, drugs or could be even prescription medications, you mix and combine even with moderate alcohol intake and you could have quite a quite an impaired situation, obviously, in terms of your attention to detail or your level of alertness. That's right. We encourage people to look at those labels, talk to their providers. And you're right, just something that could be a prescription medication. It could be new to you. It could be in combination with alcohol that just you know makes it not safe to drive. It might be necessary for a medical use but it's certainly not necessary to get behind the wheel where it could put people in danger. And Trooper Provenza with a special enforcement, before I let you go, am I right or wrong that if a trooper law enforcement officer based on the, you know, the objective, you know, investigation, talking, looking at the situation, if they do make a, an impairment arrest for someone operating a vehicle, whether there was an accident or not, is it the same process and potential fines and, and their penalties as what we used to call someone who was arrested for drunken driving? It's exactly the same. It's the same exact statute, driving under the influence of alcohol, driving under the influence of drugs or another substance or any combination. It's the same penalties. It's the same loss of license. It's the same difficulties. We can all be avoided by having a sober driver. Harrison, listener, wants to know how many folks in the special enforcement unit so we have five people in the special enforcement unit that are uh, sworn troopers. We also have uh, civilian pilots in the special enforcement unit. So it's, it's a small group, but they're very effective. And you obviously work with other folks on the road and can be called in. Hey, before I let you go, how many years now, trooper with the state police? So I've been with the state police for uh, five years, and I came from a local agency where I was there for seven years before that. And are you enjoying the challenge and the job? It's the best job in the world. We encourage anybody to uh, take a look at the website. If you're looking for the best job in the world, you can't beat that. All right. I appreciate the passion. Thank you, uh, State Trooper Sam Provenza, Special Enforcement Unit. Thank you so much, and uh, safe, safe, fun weekend this weekend for everyone. Thank you. Have a great morning, Jack. Thank you. Delighted to have the uh, Commissioner of Public Education on here in the Granite State, Frank Edelblu, and he's, I believe, in his second term officially. And they're great programs we never hear about. 
unfortunately, in the mainstream media because of all the other noise and some of the national issues that sort of hover over even the New Hampshire State House or Maine State House. But one of the programs that uh, the commissioner I wanted to get him to talk about is something that I picked up from one of his folks, Rekindling Curiosity Program Embraces uh, Childhood, which basically allows kids to get to summer camp. And, you you know, talk about innovation. Maybe, uh, Commissioner, we could start with that. Good morning. Good morning, Jack, and I am happy to be here with you, and I'm happy to be talking about one of my favorite programs that we've got going over here at the Department of Education with Rekindling Curiosity. How did it come about? Tell us about it. I think it's in its, what, fourth year? It is in its fourth year, and it had its origin really in, you know, coming out of COVID. And what was happening, you know, we we obviously disrupted a lot of education for kids through that COVID process and all the mitigations that were taking place. And, you know, we were trying to figure out how do we help kids kind of get back into the groove of being a child and, and living life. And it was interesting. I would be on these calls with, you know, education leaders from across the country, and everybody was concerned about, and rightfully so, learning loss that had taken place for kids. And so there was a lot of conversation around extending the school day of having summer school for everybody, doing school on Saturdays. And as I'm listening to this conversation, I'm thinking, there is no kid that would want to hear this conversation, right? There's no kid <laughs> who's thinking about wanting to go to Saturday school. And and I really felt like what, what our kids needed coming out of COVID was really to just get back to normalcy. And I used to say what they needed to do was they needed to get outside, be with their friends, you know, get grass between their toes, you know, climb a tree, skin their knee, do all the things that kids do, right? Because what we wanted them to do is we wanted to, as the program title, you know, says, rekindle that curiosity so that the students would be excited about going back to school, right? Because if you put kids in summer school all year, you get to September, they're going to be done already. And so that was kind of the birth of the program to just create opportunities for really every kid in New Hampshire to be able to have a great summer camp type of an experience that would refresh them, rekindle their curiosity and get them excited about life. So what does it specifically do, Commissioner Adablue, the rekindle program? Does it does it give scholarships so the kids can go to one of these summer adventures or camps? How does it work? Exactly. So what we basically do is we provide up to $775 and it's on a sliding scale, depending upon the need of the particular family, but up to $775 that can be applied towards camp fees over the summer. And so depending on what camp you go, that may pay for one week of camp or it may pay for a couple of weeks of camp but it allows them to choose any of the the camp programs that we have in the state of New Hampshire, which we've got like close to 170 camp type opportunities that students are able to participate in. And we've gotten great support from the camps themselves, working with many of these families. Some of these people had never been to camps before. And so they're kind of teaching them the ropes about how to get in, how to get registered, how it works. And, And we've just had great response from the families whose children have had the opportunity to go. Uh, We've had great response from the camps who have been able to support the kids in that camp environment. And really, so over the period of time, we've serviced and provided support to over 3,500 students across the state. We opened up the program again in January, and so far we've already had 299 students signed up for this year. And, and we expect, you know, that we will provide and we're using we're, this is funded through COVID funds still the end of the kind of COVID relief funds up to one point nine million dollars of funding going to this program. Awesome. And how can people learn more about it? Uh, parents, families out there. So if you go to the Department of Education website, which is education.nh.gov, and I'll just repeat that again for because it's tough to get sometimes education.nh.gov. Uh, We've got a tile right there on the website. You can't miss it. And you just click on that and you get all the information that you need. Or you can reach out to the Department of Education and we can, you know, help navigate you through the process. You know, Commissioner Edible is a great program and people should check it out. But you referenced. So you kind of opened a door. I want to ask you, it's not it's not your direct area, but you as Commissioner of Education would know. You mentioned the covid period. I a few weeks ago. Uh, hosted a three-hour town hall at the Capital Center for the Arts Bank of New Hampshire stage on mental health and addiction and as the number one health issue facing families in our region and country. So anxiety, depression, and, of course, too often addiction can follow, unfortunately, with that. And a lot of the parents 
that we heard from where kids were having real developmental and mental health anxiety and depression mostly are spawned from the, the remote learning period and being away from their peers during the COVID crap. And I say crap because in hindsight, half of it was. And I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to have a trial post facto, but when I was doing my show live at the time, one thing I was observing was it was very clear to me and others as things reopened that our public schools remained closed too long and the remote learning lasted too long. Right in New Hampshire, I'm not talking New York, California, I'm talking New Hampshire, and I was speaking at the time, why aren't these kids back in school? Because I was hearing from special education teachers that a lot of kids need in-person learning. They don't do well in the Zoom stuff. So in hindsight, Who's responsible for that? We all are. We're all responsible when we think about the how we impose, not just on the children, but really more broadly across society. You know, there were, I think, well-intentioned people acting on information that they thought was accurate relative to, you know, an important respiratory disease. But maybe we push this thing beyond what it should have gone, whether it is uh, the impact that we've had on children, the impact that we've had on, well, you know, we had but, on businesses but, and everything else. But let me, let me just finish. Well, hold on. But in fairness, I want to say this to you, Commissioner. I wasn't trying to put you on the hook on that because I remember you came on at the time. And I remember that I think what you were saying was it was up to the superintendents of these public school districts, Nashua, Manchester, Portsmouth, Concord. It was up to them to make those administrative decisions, not the state. So I'm not saying it was a Frank Edelblue because I think in hindsight you would have opened the schools as early as you could. So I'm like, what were the... I had heard stories the teachers' union played an un, unusual influence. It was just like there was some special interest that w it went beyond the period when everyone knew it was safe to go back into the schools. So I, I just think that there was a confluence of a lot of factors. And I think, it, to your point, it's hard to relitigate this stuff in hindsight like that. And I don't know that there's a lot of benefit. I'm going to pivot this on you a second, Jack, and we can go back to this if you want to spend some time on it. But in this rekindling curiosity program that we have, one of the aspects that I didn't tell you about is I developed a partnership with the Community Behavioral Health Association. And mm -hmm. so in each of these camp environments, we are doing training for all of the counselors in terms of recognizing, you know, mental health issues in a kid so that they can get them supports. The Community Behavioral Health Association is providing on-site counselors in these camps to be able to support those kids who yeah. might have some of those problems. And then we've set up an entire network of referrals so that the kids who need more intensive help, we can get them. So part of, and I don't, I don't really like to lead with this because I think rekindling curiosity is about letting the kids be free because that's going to solve a yeah. lot of the mental health issues for them to begin with. But those kids who need the extra support, that is an integral part of this yeah. program to help well, those and you kids. Had, and, get and you had said support. that. You had said that at the outset. I applaud. I think this is the kind of programs we need to kind of repair and get the kids back. I'm just looking at damage that's already done because I was hearing from parents where a lot of the kids where they turned to certain drugs and became addicted. They were bored. They were, they missed sports. They missed being at school. And it just it upsets me because I'm hearing from teachers how many years back some kids are developmentally because the remote learning lasted too long. I, it, I, I, it was not a Frank Edelblue decision, so I wasn't going there. But let me, let me ask you on this. A lot of our political experts talk about the statehouse issues that deal with education almost seem to be like national emotional issues, whether it's over gender and who can play sports or classroom stuff. How are we doing in New Hampshire as the public commissioner? Are, do we have too much politics still in local education, or are things calming down? Boy, that's a great question, Jack. I'm not sure how much politics is supposed to be in local education because, I mean, quite frankly, I think if you look over decades of time, you know, these are, you know, education is very important. It's very personal to so many families. They've got their children involved in that, in, in education, and they want to make sure that they're creating and driving opportunities for kids to be able to be successful. This mm -hmm. is why I am such a proponent. And again, this is a political thing, but I'm a proponent of choice because each of our children is different. Each of our kids learns in oh. a different way, needs a different pathway. And so we need to create as many pathways as we can oh, through education I choice to allow these kids to be successful. I think you've done an outstanding job in that regard because you come in with a background of innovation and business. And I, I'm a huge fan of our charter schools part of our public education what mystifies me there are some people politically speaking in concord in the legislature they think charter schools are somehow the enemy of public education and it's just it's it's like it's weird to me it's like a great thing for some families and kids where they need that different kind of setting to thrive and do well what's wrong with that 
Exactly. It's weird to me, too. I just scratch my head sometimes. I was just engaging with some folks this morning who, uh, you know, are not happy about charter schools. And I'm like, look, there's kids there who are thriving. And quite frankly, like almost all of my charter schools have a backlog of families wanting to get their kids yeah. into there. And they can't because they don't have enough capacity. Well, I bet you, you know, these so people that I bet you these people that don't like him haven't even visited one for the day and talked with the students or teachers or felt the mood and how upbeat. And I've gone into some schools where the kids. They look at you and they're, they're, you know, I remember it was school I wanted to, to get a tour when, of my show and the principal invited me and, and it was a charter school and the kids were upbeat. They shook your hand. They said hello. They welcome you to the school. You go into some other schools and the kids look at you like, you know, they're from another planet. Anyway, yeah, all right, so we, thank we just you. want to keep trying to find ways to all help right. children succeed. Let's thank get you. you back on again. Thanks for being a good sport. Frank Edelblue, Commissioner of Education. Thank you and the rekindling program for the summer. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. Aaron Real, Missy News Radio National Correspondent. J Dog and I were guessing, Aaron, if it's not China as the number one export of the U.S., who is it? And I, I guess I think of textiles and clothing and those kind of products ahead of other manufacturing. But, you know, I, it's a good guess. And I, I don't know if I can nail it. I know that if you get some things and you look at where it's made, a lot of it's made in Vietnam now, you know. Canada, but not as much, I don't think, on the apparel side. Canada's an expensive place to make stuff. So tell us, who's who's moved into that top spot? Our buddies to the south, Mexico. That's, That's what J-Doc said. Yeah, most of our things. They were for a long time, NAFTA. It's it's your right to bring up Canada. You know, that free trade agreement really pushes the, the North American countries to share with one another. But Mexico has displaced China for 2023 for the first time in 20 years. Obviously, NAFTA put into place in the 90s, so it's kind of it's working its way back. And this comes as really tensions have mounted between China and the U.S. The Trump administration slapped China with a bunch of tariffs. The Biden administration maintained that. And as a result, trade has fallen precipitously. Interesting. And, uh, of course, we have the border crisis with Mexico. We have the drug crisis with fentanyl and the cartels. But Mexico overall benefiting from our importing a lot of their their goods interesting all right aaron real mbc news radio national correspondent thank you for the time on this thursday and gonna be pretty mild i don't know where you are but maybe on saturday up near 60 for a high yep similar similar in connecticut for saturday <laughs> all right thank you aaron thanks lucas meyer straight to the dome one of our political analysts and all-stars on the democrat side good morning mr lucas good morning jack let's start with the fun stuff because we'll forget when we, if we get talking state house under the dome. All right, J Dog's going to do it tomorrow with Josh from Veasan. Here we go, Lucas. Chiefs, Niners, who do you have? Break it down. Oh, I think it's going to be a heck of a game. I mean, part of me thinks Brock Purdy comes back down to planet Earth. I think Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are going to be really tough to beat. I mean, I, I'm, if I'm betting, I'm betting on the Chiefs. But I think it's going to be a field goal touchdown game that comes down to the last second. But at least that's what we're all hoping for, right? I mean, we want some, we want some drama here. It's been a heck of a season, so I got, I, I'm picking the Chiefs. All right, well there you go. I guess like uh, close your eyes on this one and probably be half right if you know what I mean. Well, I, all right, and I will say if I can really quickly, I think the real football story of the week has been uh, UNH running back, the senior just graduated, Dylan. I think it's Lauby, L-A-U-B-E who's been down at the Senior Bowl this week, turning a ton of heads as a possible, you know, draft pick in the slot as a slot receiver. But he's been making a name for himself now at the Senior Bowl. So we got that UNH Wildcat pride heading to the NHL, uh, NFL. All right. I appreciate that. Well, let's switch gears. What, what's going on? We are going to get a live update from Las Vegas. John Delano with the DEA trying to work with the NFL and raising awareness for fentanyl. Uh, we'll stand by on that. Lucas, tell us what we're, what's going on under the, under the dome. Oh, I think... I mean, I think there's an interesting story here percolating, which is the front of the national news right now with this, you know, immigration border scandal, which is what I'm going to call it, a scandal, because you have Republicans canning, imploding a, a bipartisan deal to do some real work on the border. And I'm look, I'm not a policy expert on the issue, but looking at the politics of it, voters really are not going to be uh, excited that politics is getting in the way of bipartisan solutions. Whether you like the deal or you do not, it is a genuine bipartisan mm -hmm. consensus-building opportunity that is being shot down for politics. And I bring this up because you have a debate happening in the state right now on the northern border of New Hampshire, which the ACLU 
um, was able to write to know some information. And it came out that there are literally, I think, four or five border crossings a year from New Hampshire in part because the Canadian Mounted Police say it, that that's some gnarly wilderness up there that folks are not trudging through across the border. And you come back to like, well, why, why, why is this all happening? And like a broken record, Jack, let's get back to gerrymandering. This gets back to having people in elected office who aren't representing the will of the people. They're representing the will of the well, extreme sides of the party. And we're just getting caught up in this mess. Well, the northern sector is different than just the northern New Hampshire Canadian border, but the northern sector, I think they've seen an increase. But arguably, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not of the magnitude per capita of the southern border. But I will not minimize. You know, I've said on the show that 118 billion dollar border bill. I'm for anything that would save lives and reduce the crisis today. So it's sad that politics, but also you have to look at politics on both sides of the aisle. I mean, those senators who fear Donald Trump don't have a backbone to vote what they want. Donald, certainly Donald Trump has an influence on the Republicans in Congress and the House and Senate. But Joe Biden's had three years, three years to basically take more action, executive action, if he wanted at the border. And I've seen very little done. So I, I see it both ways. It's sad that we're not doing something more to stop the flow of, I said yesterday, the day before from ICE in 2023, Almost 200,000 illegal migrants were arrested with convicted criminal records, including homicide, rape, kidnapping, known terrorist uh, gang affiliations. I mean, the, the stats are overwhelming. And that was just that was just in 2023. So the border is a crisis. Most voters know it. But I see politics on both sides of the aisle. And I, it's, it's kind of frustrating. But, and I, I totally agree. And I think everyone, I think everyone agrees it's a problem. I think that's also what makes it so frustrating that there is a bipartisan deal that you have the Chamber of Commerce, the Border Patrol folks, Republicans coming out and saying, this is a good, this is what we want. We're not going to get a better deal if Donald Trump is president. This is, this is as good as we're going to get. And it does something. And it just feels like very consistently the Republican party keeps getting to the brink of these solutions and then canning them. And so now what happens, and again, I, I hate you. You have me out here to talk about politics. So putting the policy aside and looking at the politics of this, Joe Biden, who coming into the election cycle, presumably immigration was one of the bigger liabilities for him politically and mm -hmm. traditionally where Republicans are on the strong ground politically. Now, President Biden is going to be able to campaign saying, look, I'm, I had a deal. I was yep. going to get it done. Republicans supported it. And Donald Trump said no to closing the border. Now, whether you agree with that policy or not. No, it definitely gives some. It definitely it. Yep. Yep. If you're if you're the Biden reelection team, you know, you're kind of in a weird way liking this because now you can blame Republicans and Trump for for no deal. Uh, even if some in your own party, even if Biden should just should just say, hey, let's build a wall. And just <laughs> well, Donald Trump lobbying against building the wall again. Not that I agree yeah. with these things. No, no, I, I hear you. But even if even if some Democrats weren't going to, you're right. It gives him a little bit of a. What about uh, what about uh, State House and Concord? What are the big couple before we let you go? Any big bills that are? What's going on there? Yeah, there's a, there are a lot of the school voucher bills working their way through right now, which a lot of education advocates are really worried about in part because, you know, we're having more tax dollars go to wealthy private religious schools, which is not the way things should go, especially when our public schools are in need of additional funding um, to support our students and our teachers. So that'll be a big conversation on the House floor today. We had a redistricting bill, uh, independent advisory redistricting bill, because in New Hampshire, our constitution is such that the legislature must draw the maps. But this advisory independent redistricting commission would simply present a fair option for the legislature to consider. That had a really uh, good hearing earlier in the week, but I think there will be a lot of partisan headwinds for that bill, which really everyone should support because, you know, I don't know what you think, Jack, but I think voters should pick their politicians. I don't, I don't think politicians should be picking who their voters are. I don't think that's how a healthy democracy works. So we'll see how that plays out. And then, you know, we're, we're heading towards crossover at the end of March or a month from now, uh, where we'll really start to see what are the real, where are the real battle lines going to be drawn, especially as we get closer to the June 6th filing deadline oh, there you uh, go. for the 24 elections where, you know, everything will be up and it'll be, it's going to be spicy. That's for sure. And is it, is it true you're looking to possibly be a late entry into the race for governor? Or is that not true? 
I'm just I'm looking I'm looking to be Jackie's executive assistant. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's my that's my my ramp up to success. All right, and you have the Chiefs. All right, Lucas Meyer, straight to the dome. Appreciate it, Lucas. Best way to contact you is Lucas F. Meyer on Twitter or CatalystAdvocacy.com. Appreciate it, Jack. John, I want you to kind of take some time, and you're nice enough to work us into your busy schedule in Vegas ahead of the big game on Sunday. What's your mission there, John? Take it away. Yeah, thank you, Jack. And, you know, never too busy to call into the hometown, which means the most to me. We're out in Las Vegas. DEA is to talk about the dangers of fentanyl here on the grandest stage where the world is watching, where we're surrounded by some of the greatest professional athletes in the world, what better place to meet people where they are for DEA to talk about how one pill can kill, which is, you know, the most significant campaign in awareness that we have going right now. So we're out here. We partnered with the NFL Alumni Association, had a great opportunity to speak in front of all of the alumni that are here in town. And then yesterday, I partnered with Hall of Famer Rod Woodson, who's out here in Vegas. And, and you know, we're up and down Radio Road talking about his experiences. And he shared some issues he had in his, home, his own family with addiction. And he's passionate about getting the message out there, equally as passionate as I am, about how dangerous fentanyl is. And I'll, I'll just cover a couple things, Jack. Uh, we lost 112,000 Americans last year to a drug poisoning or drug overdose death. And a majority of those are due to fentanyl. It only takes two milligrams of fentanyl to kill somebody. And when you think about that, and you think about that, seven out of 10 pills that DEA seizes right now contains a potentially deadly dose. And add to that, that last year alone, DEA seized 78 million fentanyl pills, along with 12,000 pounds of powder, which is enough to kill about 390 million Americans. So if there was ever a more urgent time for us to be out there talking about this, I've never in my 28 years with DEA had this sense of urgency. We are truly in a race to save American lives right now. Yeah. uh, You know, in the the, what I worry about is, you know, broader awareness and acceptance. There should be no politics. There should be no turf issues that and look at the story of Chris and Zach that you shared at that town hall, the family from California, that one pill can kill because a lot of these a lot of the medications, and a lot of the pills that fentanyl is lacing are not even, quote unquote, fentanyl. They're behavioral medications, pain medications, Percocet, Adderall, right? Yeah, they're taking anything that looks like a legitimate pharmaceutical, anything that they think Americans are comfortable having around. And they're manufacturing them by the billions at dirty laboratories in Mexico. And they have nothing but fentanyl inside them. These are not real pills being laced with fentanyl. These are just fake pills containing nothing but fentanyl. And you're right. They're made to look like pills like Xanax, Percocet, Oxycodone, Hydrocodone, and, and, and drugs like Adderall that they know young people, sadly, are comfortable having around them. And and that's what's so dangerous about it. And I'll tell you, you know, throughout the week I've been here, there hasn't been, you know, one group of people I haven't spoken to that they haven't had some shared experience with with this. And and sadly, that's what's happening in this country. Right. And there's never been a more urgent time to get this message out there. You know, I have the, the, the luxury of coming on your show and you and I have been talking about this for years. But you know, it's the people that, that aren't paying attention to this that I'm trying to connect to. And that's why we're trying to meet people where they are. We hosted an esports event a few weeks ago, and we're doing yeah. more and more of those because we know young people might not be listening to your show or watching the news. So where can we meet them where we can explain to them just how dangerous this is? And again, this is truly about a race to save lives. It's not a political issue. It's not a red issue. It's not a blue issue. It's a red, white, and blue issue. The Americans in this country that have been affected by this, the communities, the families, we need to put a stop to it. And it starts with conversations like this. So I ask everybody, go to DEA.gov slash one pill. Look at the information that we have there. Start by having a conversation in your own friend circle, your family, or wherever you are. John, are you getting more openness from certain NFL players, Hall of Famers, NFL alumni to to help your efforts? You mentioned one, uh, Woodson. Are you getting more interest and openness? Yeah, and that was the mission of this. And, and the answer is a, a resounding yes. First of all, the Alumni Association, not only did they agree to have us out here, they put their money where their mouth is. 
today I have the DEA Las Vegas team going to two different schools with former Raider players to go out there and do a school presentations because they saw how passionate we were about this and they agreed to put some people out there. What we know is that young people, especially they look up to some of these athletes. Oh, definitely. So definitely. On this grand stage, we need people talking about this. You know, there's only, you know, so much that I can do, but, but partnering with a hall of famer, like I did yesterday, it opened up a lot of doors and we were able to have conversations about a serious issue at a place like this and people are paying attention and that's exactly what we need. That's exactly why we're doing it. And that's why we're bringing the energy. I appreciate it. Good luck. Best of luck because you know, John, it could be outside our studios. It could be in the North country. It could be in Portland, Maine, or it is in Maine, but right out those, right out the hotels and right outside of the restaurants in Vegas, you know, you know, fentanyl's on the streets and it's out there with dealers. John, real quickly, one of the folks in my commentary earlier, you've publicly identified on my show more than once the two leading cartels in Mexico who are responsible for most of the synthetic fentanyl manufacturing, production, and distribution. Can you repeat those cartels by name because someone asked what they were? Absolutely. Uh, so the Sinaloa cartel, which everybody is familiar with, Chapo Guzman, and then his sons, the Chapitos, that are continuing to run that organization, and the Jalisco cartel, which some people may know as CJNG, and, you know, you can look them up. You can go on the DEA website. You can read about how dangerous these cartels are. And the other thing I'll say, Jack, you mentioned, you know, what's going on here in Vegas and the hotels. Those pills that we're talking about are selling as cheap as 30 cents a pill here in Las Vegas. My goodness. Wow. So 30 cents a pill. And their goal, again, the goal of those two cartels is to addict as many Americans as they can. We are in a race to save American lives. And one of the questions one of our listeners asked for a while ago is, why do the cartels, why do they make it so toxic? Don't they know they're killing off their own customers? And the question is, I've answered is they don't care. Yep. The truth is that they don't want to kill everybody. They want to addict every single American, me and you included, and, and our children, our families included. But they don't care if they kill everybody along the way because they know there's hundreds of millions of more Americans behind yeah. that either on social media or in communities, and their goal is to reach all of them. So when I started giving these presentations in New Hampshire, talking about 65,000 American deaths due to drug poisoning and overdoses, now we're up to 112,000. Next year, God forbid, it could be 200,000. If that's the case, they won't stop what they're doing. It won't have any impact on them whatsoever. They're driven by greed, and they want to addict every American possible. Everybody needs to understand what we're up against, and it starts with conversations in your home so we can empower young people especially to make good healthy decisions because jack i say this to my own children they will be faced with a time where they will have to make that decision all we can do is arm them with all of the information so they understand it and they can make a healthy decision and hopefully we can save more lives all right john delane i appreciate it working out in the nfl with the nfl ahead of the big game on the biggest the world's biggest stage as you said correct i appreciate it john and maybe the seasons will come in the next year or so or sooner where you'll see some athletes, whether it's their shoes or something they're wearing, supporting your yeah. one pill can kill pill. Uh, one pill can kill. Thank you, John. Thanks, Jack. Paul Steinhauser. He's been building up the air travel miles, traveling around with the presidential stuff. Good morning, Steiny. Hey, good morning from uh, Pasadena, California. Yesterday I was in Las Vegas. We had the primary on Tuesday in Nevada. Came here to California covered and interviewed Nikki Haley yesterday. She had a good two-day swing in California, raised a lot of money that she'll definitely spend in the weeks ahead as she faces that steep uphill climb for the nomination. And also kind of lay down a marker, Jack. Remember, California is one of those 15 states that votes on Super Tuesday in early March. So trying to lay down a marker, trying to send the message that, hey, I may be way behind Donald Trump, but I'm sticking in this thing at least through Super Tuesday. As for Trump, I'm heading back to Las Vegas in a few minutes and He'll be there tonight because it's caucus night in, in Nevada. Remember, we had the primary on Tuesday where none of the other above beat Haley. Tonight, Trump's the only major candidate on the caucus ballot, so he's assured of a big win, and he'll grab 26 delegates. So I'm Vegas-bound, and I guess former President Trump is Vegas-bound later today as well. I bet you, Paul, reporting nationally for Fox News, I bet you'll be the only person in Vegas when you go there tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, only one, Jack. <laughs> Let me tell you, I was there yesterday and the day before, and it was it's ramping up big time for the what Super just, Bowl. The, and, the world's uh, biggest yeah, stage that, Sunday. Know, what, yeah, will you just come in and out and you just pop in and get a room? I mean, how do you do that? I mean, Vegas has to be packed right this week. 
It is pretty crowded. The prices are a little higher than normal. I am getting out tomorrow morning, so uh, I'll get out before the massive rush. But no, there's definitely already a lot of a lot of people go, a lot of people there, and you know that big sphere. It's all uh, lit up with the Chiefs and the Niners helmets, and it's it's pretty cool stuff, Jack. I know you're doing a presidential race, but who who do you have on this race Sunday? Chiefs or Niners? I'm a Chiefs guy, I guess. Chiefs so I've uh, never been much of a Niners fan over the years. So I'll go with the Chiefs again. Rory O'Neill streaming play-by-play sports what's what does it do does it rock the boat on the networks well yeah long term it may so we have big names in the sports broadcasting business disney the parent company of espn joining with fox and warner brothers discovery for an app they're going to launch this fall that will include espn plus and like 14 other old school channels you'd normally get with cable fox abc fs1 tnt tbs it has a lot of sports but for most of us, we want to do one-stop shopping, and this is not it. This really is going to appeal to people who don't subscribe to traditional cable, but it's not going to be cheap. And then it's something like you're going to have to have this and something else and something else if you want to watch every game. The Pats won't be on it very much since they normally play on CBS. So we'll see if this is successful, although I think the owners of these networks think this is the wave of the future. Well, you've seen the NFL and some of these big games force you to kind of, on some games, go to like a Peacock or, you know, Thursday night football, kind of pushing it. You got Amazon, one of these other carriers. Well, right. But, you know, the final four is on CBS. That would not be included. The Olympics are on NBC. That would not be included. Sunday night football, you know, all these different things that if you get this bundle, again, maybe this is all speculation, but between 40 and 50 bucks a month. Why not just have regular cable then? It doesn't. It's not really that much of a benefit. Michael Graham, I sorry, I apologize. We had so many people getting in the queue here. Michael Graham, NA Journal, New Hampshire Journal dot com. Take it away, Michael. What am I taking away, Jack? I don't, what are we doing? Don't ask me to pick the Super Bowl. I'm on Team Beyonce. Well, you do so, several I stories. Know, I think she's going to Taylor Swift. I think so. Yeah. Well, what do you Let's have see. for us? <laughs> so. This weekend, speaking of sports, there will be a competition for track in New Hampshire IAA, whatever it is, and one of the competitors in the girls' high jump will be a guy, a dude, a gentleman, a male person, and there's moms and dads who are pretty upset about that because their uh, daughters work really hard to try to win these competitions. There's a Kearsarge athlete who's a male, and uh, the NIHIA says that individual students have the right choose if they want to compete as a male or female. They what, have no what community is this? What, what community is this? Kearsarge is the school where he, wow. uh, this individual who identifies as a female, uh, run, is in the high jump. And interestingly, this came up, there's a bill to require that if you're a male, you compete with males, females, with yeah. females, unless it's a co-ed sport. And State Representative Timothy Horgan was testifying from Dover and said, in these cases, you look, it's just, they're, they're, quote, obscure competitions that nobody cares about. So for all you parents of uh, kids who run track, you know, maybe you, you know, compete in other non-football, baseball, basketball sports, that's a message from New Hampshire Democrat to Timothy Horgan. It's an obscure competition. Nobody cares. So. Unless you're, the, you, unless you're, unless you're some of those parents in that town, you probably do well, care. I mean, think about, I mean, think about you some, you know, sad, you know, girl who competes in whatever pole vault, high jump, you know, the, the hundred meter, the whatever, and you're out there every morning getting up early to go compete. Maybe you swim. I mean, come on, who goes to swimming competitions, right, Jack? I mean, that's not football or baseball. Maybe you get up every morning and swim really hard, and then the, Track, the House yep. Democrats tell you that's ah, an obscure competition. I mean, really, who cares? So, yeah, then why yeah. bother? Now, I'm, you know, just uh, you're going to hear more of this in the months and years to come. Thank you, Michael Graham, and no Tom Raffio, President and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental and host of his weekend radio show, Delta Dental, and of course, author of Stories from the Starting Line. Going a day early to end our show on this Thursday morning with some good community news. Good morning, Sir Tom. Good morning. A day early, but not a dollar short. So I, <laughs> I, I enjoy, I always enjoy listening to you when you get all fired up. So I'm going to try to even have more enthusiasm. So let's work backwards. So Sunday, I have two things going on. I need to be at two places at once. We have Uh-oh. a, we have a four mile Super Bowl race in Bedford at 930. And that raises money for one of your favorite causes, Special Olympics. 
And then the second I'm finished with that race, I got to throw on my ski stuff and get uh-huh. on and get on to a Pat's Peak because we have the vertical challenge race. And it's the particular day where Delta Dental is the uh, the lead sponsor. So I'll get to see some participating dentists and, and customers there. And some of the giveaways are going to be really fantastic. There's pickleballs, racket sets, and things like that. So the vertical challenge, of course, raises money for Make-A-Wish. And and I get this question a lot, Jack, like, why does Delta Dental so involved in the community? The answer is it's the right thing to do. This is how you get things done in New Hampshire. But oftentimes there's an intersection, you know, with the charity. So as I said, <clears throat> Super Bowl race is for Special Olympics and the uh, vertical challenge ski is for, is for Make-A-Wish. And then... Saturday, I'm going to actually get liberated and just ski with my son at Mount Sanapi. <laughs> there flew, you go. He flew up from, uh, he's going to be flying up for, for Virginia. And then last night, I had a, we had a very humbling, beautiful night last night. It's called the Delta Dental Points Chase Awards Night. And many of my running friends um, who participated in one or more of the 30 races were there getting different awards. And I actually managed to get – Jack, I'm so slow now, but I managed to win my age group because I never missed one of the 30 races. I got the perfect attendance award. Did you ever get that in high school? I did. Yeah, well, I, 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 my attendance was pretty good, but I don't know, perfect, but no, it was pretty good. I don't know if I got that. I got, I got one of the best dressed, though. I remember that. That's good. So uh, you won that superlative. Jay, I think he was like best combination of brains and good looks, right? Always <laughs> wanted to get that. Never quite got that. Anyway, and uh, there was a lot of inspirational awards. So the running community is out there in full force, and uh, we did have someone from Special Olympics uh, make a presentation last night. And then next Tuesday, I'm going to have a legislative reception here. I'll talk about that on Monday, where basically a lot of people from the House of Representatives and the Senate come on over and we just talk about things like the veterans oral health. And for my veterans friend, again, um, if you're not eligible for Medicaid, which is about 300 of you, if you're not eligible for the VA because you're not fully disabled, then just give me a call at 223 1300 and on the Binny Meaty web website, you, you, you have this sort of panoramic view of the uh, seven opportunities. As far as the book, Stories from the Starting Line and Dollars There, go to the Veterans Rural Health. We created a new chapter, Chapter 12, because so many people wanted to be in it. It's now fr- fresh off the press. So if you buy the book now on Amazon, you'll get an additional chapter. There you go. Good stuff. And, and this and this weekend, I have Waypoint on. Cindy Stewart will be talking about the the great sleep out and why you know sort of the sensitivity that we all need to have for uh, for homelessness. So that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. How's that, Jack? Well, hold on. We we got we need to get your uh, breakdown on Sunday's game. We're asking a lot of notables. So who do you have? What's your thought process? What kind of game? High scoring? Not get, take it away. All right. So I have. In the playoffs, I've predicted every game correctly, so I'm going with Kansas City. But for the listening audience, I'm hoping San Francisco wins because I don't want people thinking, oh, Mahomes, Reed is as good as Brady, Belichick, or whatever, because I think that'll be like three out of five or three out of four if they win. But I do think Kansas City, only because they have the better quarterback, and I'm not 100% convinced that Brock Purdy, who was the last man taken in the draft, is going to rise to the occasion. I think it's going to be something like whatever, 23-20. Wow, well, that's a good one. That will be a fun one. And are you? And the question is, are you going to sit still and watch it? I, even when the Patriots are playing, that was I sometimes jumped on the elliptical. There you go. All right. Well, fun thanks, stuff. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for the opportunity to share. Again, veterans, 223-1300, and I'll talk to you Monday. Thank you. Take care.